0: This is twenty-two. This is more coordination this time. There we go. Why? Okay. Right. Those hands up. There we go. Off hours twenty-two. Okay. Excited to be here. A couple wonderful people in the room. Do this every Friday, twelve p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Jam, talk, have fun, insights, everything. Um, today uh, is a rainy day in Toronto, but that does not hold us back. Uh, Nihal is shining in his wonderful. Uh, it looks like he's in Hawaii. Um, but uh, it's. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say that. <laughs>
0: It's a little rainy, um, but uh, that will not hold us back. The energy is here. Toronto is alive, and it's a very uh, exciting time. So um, I guess quickly just a round of introductions, and then we'll hop into a couple topics. I'll just keep this engine rolling, Tyler Bryden. What do I love? I love voice, I love language, I love hip-hop. I saw Cypher last night in Toronto. Hip-hop Cypher was awesome. Burning man. (laughs) And uh, technology and, and love. So that's Tyler. Excited to be here again. Uh, go ahead, <laughs> whoever wants to introduce themselves.
1: Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, studio, HBK. I'm mostly working on the voice, AI, and machine learning stuff, uh, part of the AWS Builder community, and also involved with other voice technology in Toronto, and uh, always love to explore uh, new things.
2: Everyone, Nihal, uh, digital strategist here at SpeakAI. Uh, do everything from marketing, SEO, writing, help with copy when I can, and uh, yeah, just just trying to brighten up the day with my bright shirt. All right,
3: uh, Leon here. I'm a product management uh, consultant. Um, do a bit of UX work as well, and uh, basically helping the ship tighten up. It's a uh, it's leaky buckets. So the funnel that we're looking at and uh, hopefully achieve growth, real growth by the end of the year.
0: Okay. Leon, Thank you. And you've helped us wonderfully. Nihal also helped wonderfully. And there'll be a couple topics on that today. One thing, this is sort of a feeling that I had this week, but then also a question for primarily maybe directed towards Leon, but uh, just something to think about. So we had... Several inbound leads come together this week, Um, some of them really good. Some of them came through alternatives pages, pretty large, growing businesses, opportunities of like scales of um, hours and minutes coming into our system like we haven't seen before, which is really exciting. And that's when I did multiple calls this week where for my I had this feeling of, oh my God, this is this very sort of complex use case that's emerging and our system fits what they're looking for almost perfectly. There's like some very, very slight customizations, but almost nothing. Um, uh, and, you know, in my heart, my stomach and my soul, I felt it was like that's like this idea of like product market fit, or at least like it, it, it felt right. And that has actually led to, you know, a, at least um, a pilot that's going to emerge here. and But then, you know, have another sort of multiple sort of versions of that. But my only question, I guess, is... How, <laughs> That product market fit that was felt within our system is different than, I would say, <laughs> a product market fit that we've seen in another market. So is there product market fit if there's multiple markets? Or can a product fit multiple markets at once? Uh, is what I'm basically wanting to figure out. Um, and even Nihal just said a little bit more context. We're like talking about what kind of content do we want to create over the next three, six months, towards the end of the year and i sort of picked this very specific use case more around marketing and media because of the amounts of minutes and the power and re- possibilities for return on investment yet some of these people who are gravitated towards us are not in that category so i'm uh, in a a whirlwind of maybe not product market fit or whatever that feeling is we would just love maybe a, your thoughts on that as someone who's they talked about this a bit
3: tyler could you give me more context around what's the previous market in your mind how do we have this inkling of PMF <laughs> and then what's the current how do you slice the current market that you're talking about
0: uh, so I th- it's i think we've seen traction and growth from like a healthcare this is a subsect of a healthcare market that came to us it's processing large amounts of audio and video data through clinics um, and capturing audio and video, pulling into the system, transcribing it, and then structuring it into some sort of medical documentation. That's about as far as I can sort of disclose. Uh, and we've seen that with awesome partnership with MindCure here, which has been amazing, by the way, to see, like they've been doing demos lately to show how Speak is embedded into the system and it's used in a healthcare clinical environment. Um, but then as we've, you know, thanks to your wonderful uh, also support and direction, it's like Tyler, pick and focus, and so I, in my mind, I'm like, media and marketing is something that we know, there's a lot of power in our system. We've already built some of the analytics layers, the customization layers. And so it's like some of the focus is driving that way, the accessibility, all those parts. Yet we're getting inbound leads coming from this healthcare sector. So I hope, I don't know if that's enough context or if, that's, if there's anything you want to add
1: uh would right because these what the 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 last part we see i mean last few weeks the leads are coming from sort of a subset of i would say the market of who has like the large audio and video already sitting in their drive or they are doing the interviews so if you put the third layer is like common pattern i see is like who has the large media of audio and video files and they're now tired with uh, just the transcription service could be the order or the rev, and they want to go beyond that by looking at this the, the pandemic that sift the mindset to going with this audio and video perspective, but now it's not more about the it's not just the transcription it's more on top of that the the analysis that's what I just can add Let me confuse
0: you, Leon so <laughs> I was
1: about to ask some more
3: questions, but let me, let me just think through this for a second. Um, Previously was more healthcare related, but, but currently we have more marketing uh, and media related. Cool. cool. other way around. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't mention MindCure for a second. So I, I would say that um, of, of the startups, I guess that I've been, uh, the startup stories and founder stories of, you know, uh, crossing chasms and going from problem solution fit, sorry, solution problem fit to product market fit all the things I've learned and uh, observed and read about and heard about, um, people run a whole bunch of experiments, do a bunch of prototypes and then try things at large. Like, and so we have a, a wide selection of prototypes f- from which we can pick and offer people. So there's at least five value propositions we can come up with distinctively and we can go basically market the shit out of them, excuse my French, um, on all of these five value propositions. And, uh, and that's just sort of a, a general ballpark in my mind. And so like, I guess some definitions of PMF for product market fit can be um, around market pull is so strong that your, your supply doesn't keep up. Demand is way stronger than supply. And you're now hiring and you're now like trying to fundraise because you need to hire people and, uh, and, and you're, you're scrambling with operations you're like, I wish I had a freaking COO next to me right now. Cause like, it's just, there's so much demand. Um, that's one way of, of demonstrating PMF. Um, uh, and then the other way is kind of like, if you're losing, sorry, if your current customers lost your service, like, you know, up to, up to 40%, four out of 10 of them would feel really terrible or sad about it. I think that's like a, a 16 Z version of product market fit. So what we've seen in the past, I think are pilot projects they fortunately are revenue generating, and they're also uh, exciting because it's probably in the space that we're looking into getting. But for instance, if I'm allowed to talk about this, and please edit it out if I am not allowed to talk about this. If our, you know, uh, Tyler, didn't hear you because you're on mute.
0: <laughs> There's no editing, so be careful.
3: <laughs> All right. so the integration that we have with MindCure is a specific prototype that we've, that we've made and even for them, it's sort of an experiment to see how well the, the systems will, will um, support each other, right? Um, and is that scalable? We don't really know. And so I don't know if we, we can try to scale it and double down on some marketing efforts on that end, but that would pull us away from t- sort of the general um, uh, B2C and or B2 small, small business level type of, uh, of marketing strategies. So uh, would you, will we consider that a a solution to a right problem? And that will be a scalable solution. I don't, I don't know. Uh, We'll have to try and see, you know, and, and with previous uh, marketing uh, marketing professionals or agencies or marketing individuals as a market. Sure. Do they have a lot of other choices? Maybe, maybe not. What is it that we are able to do that nobody else can do? What makes our, um product really defensible is it it could be pricing it could be user experience it could be um, a unique technology that no one else has um if it's just like let's just say I'm a marketing agency I come to speak as a, a one a one solution and I'm just looking for something that's cheaper then that's not product market fit right it's just I'm just testing different you know tools and any of those reasons could make me bounce or switch over to someone else so it's a very loose very vague line um, or moat of protections. You know, imagine you have a castle and you have a, a moat around the castle, which is filled with water. A moat of protection is kind of what keeps your product sticky and strong. Um, with the current transition into more healthcare, I think if they value, for example, our data privacy or you know our um, our ability to transcribe and analyze, as Vatsal said, a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, you know, and 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 when it comes down to the aggregate cost, accumulated cost, it's much cheaper or much more um, calculatable, or is that even a word, or more digestible, um, so they can do their let's say um, budgeting easier. I think those are all advantages. So we need to find out what the commonalities between all of these leads or inbound leads are, um, and or outbound leads. I'm not sure what the marketing front is doing. but There's a lot of lot of interesting things happening we just need to find out what the commonalities are and what they really value among these things then we have a, we form a hypothesis is that like this particular feature or this particular proposition is interesting for such companies and then we can go and hunt for more companies and be more of an active or outbound approach to them it's all experimentation at the end of the day and we set a time frame we set a hypothesis and then we go validate the crap out of it so hope, hope that helps.
1: Yeah, but I just have one more question on top of that. For an example, when, when the company approach or when this organization's approach to this leads, there is very few things to work upon. Obviously, you know, based on their problem, there is not the whole sort of, you know, it's like one month or three month sprint we need to work on to fit with that solution. So does that count in the product market fit? For an example, just to add it with the historic sign there, with the mind cure, we didn't created anything on top of that. The whole solutions was we built in two years, exactly fit with their needs, could be with the the clinic recordings or with the text notes. So the whole solution would fit. We didn't write, I mean, we did some custom work on top of that, which is different story, but nothing crazy. So does that count in the product market fit or how, how is that balanced?
3: That's a fantastic question, Vassal. Uh, I don't know if I can answer it in just a matter of few minutes, but the, the what you mentioned there with the integration with MindCure is a good is a great example of a solution to problem fit. And if if, if they become a a long term client, hopefully forever, and can introduce us to more clients, and also we can find more clients as as such, then that's probably a signal of product market fit. And then going back to you know, one to three sprints or and or customization um, or building more features to sat- just to satisfy one use case would be kind of chasing fireworks everywhere. Um, and they're lighting up in the, in the middle of the sky and then we're like, oh my God, there's something happening here, so we just, let's, let's try it. And then what ends up happening is that maybe we can like, I don't know, fork the code and create some some prototype for them. That would be considered a pilot project and not a product market fit because we as a team Um, need to define what the product is. And then we have to be very, very uh, clear about what our product does. And then we defend it to a point where we realize that actually all of our assumptions were false. None of this works. Then we can look for more signals. Um, But if we have a foundation and we add on things um, to it, actually scratch that. I have one example I want to use. PM uh, product managers and no one to use analogies. I'm going to use a restaurant analogy. It's very, very simple. So if you are a buffet that uh, offers Thai food, Chinese food, Japanese food, Korean food, do you think anybody would like really value you as a like all encompassing buffet? Or if you just said, we're going to build the best damn Thai food restaurant in the city. And people who are looking for Thai food, they would rank they're Thai food restaurants. And eventually they find out, they're like, I want to try this out. I think this is great. I want, I'm willing to pay a premium. And so, uh, and then there's the case that we're sort of discussing now is that we've built a restaurant. We have a entrance and we have seating. We have a kitchen in the back. We have great chefs and cooks. And then, um, people come in, they're like, uh, I want spring rolls. And then the next customer comes in they're like, make me a smoothie. And another customer comes in. They're like, you know, could you, could you also do some Italian tonight or just like, Hey, head chef, like we create the menu right now. Like there's a customer willing to pay us for Italian, but we've never done it before. We're going to go some, buy some pasta and pasta sauce next door and build it. So that's kind of what it feels like when you're chasing fireworks like that.
0: Sounds like fun, but that was a great analogy, by the way. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, That was a fantastic. That was hilarious. Uh, um, Neil, you're quiet. What are you, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, considering again, you're, uh, you know, you've done a lot of the work from the marketing perspective, trimmed down a lot constantly the person who says, stop it guys. <laughs> um, you know, say
2: less <laughs> do less. <laughs> yeah. Um, t- to speak to Leon's point, I, I think about, uh, us, Forming a hypothesis and kind of standing behind our product. So, for instance, Tyler, we had that conversation yesterday. Behind, okay, let's pick a focus for the next, you know, three to six months, where we we just go hard after this this hypothesis of, of this is what we think our target market should be, and here's how we're going to educate them about we, why we are the best solution for them. Uh, and just running with that for three to six months, even if uh, obviously we have some room for slight deviation, depending on what comes up, but to that point, right. Let's say we picked, um, one main group. So, you know, to which we dedicate 80 to 85% of our time. And there's maybe two subgroups where we think there's opportunity there, but it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been demonstrated yet. Like maybe we've had inklings, right? Like someone left a comment in the onboarding forum, like hey, this is what I'm using it for. Um, so we're like, okay, maybe you know, 7.5% of our efforts go towards building out this channel for this group and another 75 goes to building out a channel for this other group. But the bulk of our efforts are just going to go towards, you know, in, in, our, in this particular case, um, people who have bulk transcription needs, as an example. Right, and you know, from there, that's the hypothesis. This is who we're most useful for. Who are these people? How do we build out information and uh, education that helps them find us, uh, and uh, also helps you know shows them that we can solve their problem? So, um, on that front, I, I think it's interesting to see how, like PMF, really feeds into marketing efforts as well because. Uh, it, in a way, it feeds into the topic that you know, I, I wrote for us to talk about: uh, is how do you, you know, market a complex product, and what what does that entail? Right? Do, do you market all your features? Do you market the ones that are perfect, you know, as perfect as like features can be? Uh, and you know, what, what are some examples of companies right now that do offer complex products that have complex products? Um, that are maybe not consumer-facing, right? Could be, uh, you know, companies like MonkeyLearn where the base plan is 300 bucks a month, right? Because, yeah, they're, they're not going after the average consumer that needs to do text analysis, but because the average consumer probably wouldn't understand how to use their API anyways. Um, but it's like, how have they made it work for them? And But even in their case, when you look at it, they've built out three... Like on their website, for instance, there's only three personas they really target. There's like customer success, I think product research, and like one more, right? And, and that's all they go after. Uh, but but they go after after it hard. So you know, we looked up like one of the key like that we want to rank for, right? Like sentiment analysis, uh, you know, has like thirty thousand searches a month, and they're number one, right? Uh, because they they're like, okay, we're going to be the master of this domain. And no one's gonna like unseat unseat us from our throne. Right. And, and I feel like that's that's kind of the mindset we need to go in with as well.
0: We're coming for you, monkey learn. No,
2: <laughs> Best yeah. Thai food restaurant in town.
3: Best Thai food
1: exactly
0: a complex product. And you know, Vasil and I had that experience today. Like <clears throat> I've had multiple conversations with this the one business that we're you know gonna, gonna do some work with here. And when it came down to the demo uh today or the onboarding that we onboarded uh, the person it it was only five minutes because we only knew like the four things that they cared about so like you could we could have spent an hour going through speak just "Ah," you know present mode was still in there and be like oh this is so cool but it's like none of that was necessary like literally none of it so you know some of the research that i've done is from a a sales perspective Is like yeah you're you're platform can do a lot but by the time that you even get to a demo you should know exactly what they're looking for and you shouldn't show them anything else why would you you've diluted the entire piece of the platform and like even while i was in watching going through that demo today i was also just like half of the stuff in this system she this person does not need you know what i mean like it's just like they're only going to be doing maybe three navigation points Throughout the application, like barely any compared to the full. But what
1: things do you see which are not useful in the app? And with that, with with that objective, is like what what other things you can highlight?
0: You know what I mean? Video and text, uh, for example. Like this is audio only experience that this person uh, is using. Um, uh, that that's really the main one. They're they're not going to be recording in the app. They're only going to be using the embeddable recorder. Uh, you know, like there's, and I don't know what to do about that. I mean, it's again, there's lots of, I use Google analytics every day and Nio and I were talking about it about like when you, you get used to platforms with so many options and then you just figure out the paths that are most valuable to you. Like I could spread all Google analytics, but I go to acquisition source, medium, uh, referrals. And then I go to goals. You know what I mean? Like I don't spend all the time in other places. So, uh. I I guess that's just an insight that like it felt our one of our more successful of qualifying a person, understanding needs and then showing only what we needed to show instead of this broad generalized walkthrough of everything that we can do.
1: I have, uh, I'm not agree with that because what happened, we personally see with the other clients, with the large clients, we already onboard them because they see the text module. They realize that, Oh, I have like hundreds of, research word document sitting on my drive and helping me nothing so it's like can I upload my text note and connect my current research with the past research I did five years ago so I mean we are opening those opportunities for the people who had no idea that they also can analyze this notes which they had wrote in in their research five years ago and that just changed their whole business maybe if they are coming from the b2b or maybe their research so I see as an opportunity as a user too, to see that, okay, there are other options which you can use within the app. If it is related to the obviously with the with the research and with the analysis, but if it is the whole separate story, then that doesn't make sense. But audio, video and text is like, that's the core piece we always talk about is a capturing. It's like sort of a combinations that's power of the speak otherwise what, yeah, that, that, that's the questions we always ask is like, what value we provide to the users. So the t- there's
0: difference quickly though, like between the problem that they needed to solve and then the opportunities that we can present to them once they solve that problem. Like if we spent 15 minutes today talking about text notes, it would be cool. There's lots of potential here, but that's not the problem they're looking to solve immediately with it. Yes. So it's more presenting opportunities of the avenues that speak opens up. But if we t- truly want to be successful and convert, it's like pain, painkiller first, solve pain, Kill that. And then now, oh, here's this wonderful world of opportunities that can solve more problems for you.
2: Because I think feeding off of that, because um, I, I do think, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's almost like if we treat each separate, like th- there's ways to integrate the different solutions we offer. Uh, but at its core, th- they live as standalone services, right? Upload audio, upload video, create a text note. Um, and then from there, there's ways to create tailored workflows that work for specific uh, use cases. Right. So, so w- when it comes to uh, selling that, for instance, does it does it become a matter of okay? So now, let's say we've gotten five research clients or f- five clients from like that research space. Is it we go in with you know they just want to bulk transcribe audio files and okay, so we go in with we're going to solve this for you right? Here, here's the workflow in 10 minutes and this is how you're going to transcribe your 3000 hours of audio. And then from there, does it become a matter of we build out like from our experience, from our research, from kind of how we see someone using the platform to serve, solve their problems. Do we build out specific workflows that we then market to them? Like for, for instance, with your text example, like, Oh, like, you know, uh, we have seen use cases where, uh, people like yourself will grab their text files integrate it with their audio files you know kind of create these bulk repositories and then analyze it completely or do we let the customers themselves figure out these workflows uh, by using the product and we educate from either like an in-app perspective or like a content perspective um, do we do we create opportunities for them to learn or do we teach them about it right off the bat uh, I feel like that's another Another question.
1: But I think the answer is depends who is the customer. Mm-hmm. Because if it is a B2C, mm-hmm. then there is a balance of figuring out, okay, content or like helping education. But if it is coming from B2B, B, if it is a business person, I bet on that he or C is already thinking how they can grow their business. There's no doubt that if the person is coming from B two B, so either they are premature to see how the system can help them more to grow their business, maybe make more money, or you know wh- whatever they basically the growth. Uh, so it depends who is the customer. If B two C, then yes, the education is through the email marketing or e education, which we already just added, so that helps. Like oh, what is this? Is like then they explore more through the help doc or something. Uh, yeah, that's what that I think. The first thing is like, who is who is the customer?
2: So if if we are going after both, because okay, obviously at this specific point in time we have both avenues open, right? Yes, because so, we
1: have the individual subscription. Exactly, so. exactly.
2: So, so for, for now there there there's almost two um, two separate marketing streams as well, right? Where it's like th- they have some overlap, but. To to your point, like the messaging is almost completely different, right? Not not completely different, but there there's add-ons or things we remove that might not apply to both both audiences, right? And and just trying to figure out um, what to say to who and what to leave out, right? Um, also time, right? Like how much time are we going to spend educating a um, like a B 2 C customer with with a demo, for instance, versus you know, reserving that valuable team time uh, for kind of higher paying customers, customers that kind of need a more thorough demonstration to get what they need done. Because most single users are probably just going to use one function or two functions, or even just based on sheer volume, they probably won't run into too many roadblocks or too many issues. Uh, While I I feel like with B2B and, you know, if if we're getting like a huge, huge transcription orders, there's going to be different issues that pop up there
1: as well. Why why is it different? Why do you think that is different in in terms of the context? Let's say how you can use the professional human, professional transcription. Mm -hmm. Why is it different? I, I, I don't get it because I get it in terms of the time, but I didn't get it in terms of the context, because even if it is a B2B, they still have the five or 10 people as an individual. Who are trying to access the platform mm-hmm. so it's like in terms of context how does that make a difference with with your uh, approach uh or maybe it's less marketing approaches
0: I, I, just one like thing that stuck up maybe this ad, maybe add some nuance but i remember and you're both fans of it but like i remember when notion first started it was very marketed to an individual and i remember even when they started to see really rapid growth from a business perspective they like now when you land on the site a lot of it is actually tailored towards the business side and because they've had this dedicated base of users who are individuals they've stuck with notion because it's such a great platform but if you were the first time somehow you lived under a rock you came across notion for the first time you came on their site it could isolate you as an individual versus a business based on like the, the the content on the site and like the messaging there like uh I don't know if that adds any clarity there, but it's just like, even for example, if we start talking specifically about marketing in our copy and in our content, and then we say like, as Nihal and I are talking, like, we think there's a great opportunity to work with SEO agencies and marketing agencies with our system to supply accessibility demands, transcription, and then also some competitive intelligence and et cetera, et cetera. If we keep writing about that and, and talking about that and then build solutions towards that direction, now we're isolating an entire audience or a subsect of groups of users who are in our application and they might feel like this is no longer for me, this is no longer my application. This is not, this is not the business that I thought it was. Um, so maybe that just how you even message to an individual versus a business, that's different messaging. And, and sometimes I think that it's a catch all and we can do it, but by, you know, bringing Leon on, bringing Niho on, I've realized how different that messaging it is depending on the exact person that you're you're talking to.
2: Because just to feed off that, like, for instance, now when I'm doing some, like, research on topics, people searching for some opportunities for us to, you know, create useful content for people, um, like, one a funny opportunity, but one that we can definitely capitalize on is, you know, uh, people searching for how to, like, tra- for whatever reason, like, transcribe song lyrics, right, from audio files, right, w- which silly topic, but has relatively high search volume, low keyword difficulty, and we can provide value for an individual user, right? Even if that's just through our free trial, like they just hop in to use it once. So very different messaging from, here's a business process we've built out, and here's how you can use it to make money, right? Here's how you can use it to gain competitive intelligence. And to me, those are just two, like, the second use case, like for the businesses, could also be used by individuals, right? Like people who have that higher need, that higher level of, I guess, strategic thinking or are actually looking to learn. But, uh, you know, to Tyler's point, sometimes when it comes to our website messaging, let's say we just scrap, at, at some point, we just scrap the consumer side of things, right? Like we only work with enterprises. We only work with businesses. That, that's that's going to make a huge difference as to how we, market the product, the language you use, maybe we don't need to keep things as simple, right? Like we can start talking about some of the more technical terms. We can talk about more complex workflows versus for now, we still need to find a balance between producing content for individual users who can just adopt the system and then potentially take it to their team. Um, but then maybe, you know, if it, if it ends up being more along the, the lines of PMF and it, it's just more lucrative for us to, let's say, just purely focus on enterprise solutions. That, that, that it's gonna change what we talk about, right? It's no longer gonna be like uh, transcribe and analyze all in one place. It's gonna be like gain the business intelligence you need to grow your business, right? Like oh, whatever whatever that is.
1: Yep, that makes sense. Makes yeah.
2: sense. Yeah, one little point I wanna to add to
3: it is uh, just around Notion. Their, their product, well, their, their whole product was, I think built around 2015, 2016 almost died before they crossed the chasm. Uh, and maybe the first 5,000 to 10,000 onboarded users were all individuals trying to like do some daily tasks and planning uh, and whatnot. Uh, but they, they eventually found product market fit. Uh, it, this was solving the individual's solutions, but it was a free free product, a freemium product. And to this day they still have the freemium option, um, which led to product led growth because it was like, hey, have you heard of this thing? Like, this is like helping me save an hour per day. It's great. And then sign up, boom, boom. Um, teams, same thing. Individual designers, engineers, product managers, they started to use this for their own lives because they like to hack things. And they bring it back to the team. you are like, I think you, y'all should try this. So product-like growth kind of existed from the from day one. They just wasn't able to unlock it, uh, I guess. I'm speaking from a completely outside perspective. So I don't really know how it worked. However, now they're venture-backed. They're they're, they don't need, they didn't even need, need to raise money, but they raised quite a bit, um, from some of the top VCs in the Valley. And so they, they need to prove, um, uh, sustainable, but also exponential growth with their product and think they, they have, they had to go with the, I think, you know, enterprise or tech team onboarding route, just like Figma, you know, uh, and, and get a bunch of teams using it as soon as possible like get teams away from asana get teams away from base camp and so on yeah so it's a progression and led to that decision over time i think
1: yep I I absolutely agree because i went to the first notion meetup in toronto before the pandemic and that was that was sort of the same discussion Uh, there were like five uh, sort of a team people uh, presenting why they are using Notion, and they were coming from the same sentiment about as an individual they started the Notion, and because they are PM or some senior executive in the different companies, they try to integrate in their day-to-day in the company. It could be the you know FAQ or maybe the onboarding process. So it's sort of a that makes sense. That is sort of a bridge to go over from again, like B2C to the B2B. And uh, that's where they find the more requests. I, I, I absolutely remember uh, those conversations on, in that meetup. It
0: shows you, shows you how much, uh, you know, again, taking venture capital or depending on the business model you want changes changes the business too, right? And it's, you know, in a lovely world, you can serve, like, you know, Nihal was talking about, like, certain customers being more lucrative and and, and but like, because we love everyone and i wish in my ideal world i just could help everyone every single person i cross in the street i wish i could. <laughs> but it just it, i realize it's impossible and then you help try to help everyone you don't help yourself <laughs> and so you do have to make these sort of these 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 choices here so um you is there anything else you want to add I, we sort of started on <laughs> complex product um anything else that you want to add or how you feeling uh,
2: uh... Nothing specific. I mean, good conversations stem from that. Uh, I think to your point also about uh, like kind of the issue, not issue, but, you know, going from like B to C to B or or potentially changing our messaging. Because I think we've had certain conversations recently about, uh, you know, when it comes to just trying to go the, market domination route by just undercutting everyone like we're, we're not we're not in a position to do that um and, and how does that affect how who we go after and like how we actually uh find clientele find clients and create content because you know right now like otter for instance gives away on a free plan what was it, 600 minutes yeah so 600 minutes right uh, which for them with their chi- giant pockets is is a cost they're willing to eat, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of just like get their, their product in, into different people's phones and into their work workflows. But for us, we you know, we, we can't compete on that front. We can't compete on the Rev front, for instance, when it comes to undercut, like paying their transcribers like shit. <laughs> Sorry, Rev. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, the... Uh, but then what, what ends up happening I find is, so if, if we can't compete with these big players by kind of using the same tactics they use, um, what are the tactics and what are the routes we go, go through, right? Is it, is it ex- exceptional customer support? Is it we, we build customers that, not build customers, but build relationships with our customers where they're like, I could go to Otter, right? I could go to Otter and pay, I don't know, like 10 cents less. But you guys give me so much more within your system, and you know everything that encompasses the company as a whole. That it, it's not worth the switch just to save a couple bucks.
0: Look right. what you've solved it all is just build customers.
2: Ah. Yeah. <laughs> just build them <laughs> from scratch.
1: <laughs> should be should we attend uh, one of the meeting we had uh, yesterday uh, related to the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about like the, the person was like pro order user. And, uh, and, and and they come from the order having the issues. Not, it, it is not about then it, okay, if it is a B2C, then the price comes into the picture. But if it is a B2B, they try to, again, like solve the problem and grow the business. It's like, if it is a 500 bucks more, if as a business person, they are more than happy to pay. But when you think as an individual, then there is a problem and and uh, and tara and i also discussed about two days back i think so is like how we can reduce the price is like significantly maybe 60 80 percent to the current cost and uh, how we can not compete with order or rev they have the both have the different sort of a perspective of the, the speech to text versus the human transcription and we have the combination of both and if we can if we can compete with them with having the combination of both that would be the game changing i don't know what do you, what uh, what uh, you guys think
0: just even i mean today with the the one conversation right we had uh, a, on, if you look at us on a permanent basis a, against um, you know one of the some of the companies there we're actually much higher uh, but that didn't matter to the customer that we talked to today because we solved so many other problems Like even something as simple as right now, there's no way that integrates with X. So my multiple team members that I'm paying per hour are spent doing thousands of manual clicks. And now you've helped me solve that problem. That's worth way more than a couple cents per minute in terms of frustration and what I'm paying and uh, arthritis in your hands. You know all those all those things. So when it comes to, as Vatsa said, like the right case a couple cents per minute doesn't matter it it's, it's so many other things are actually solved that that's that's it, it, it was a v- very quick and easy and it was again a good feeling of being able to outmuscle muscle 50 you know companies raising 50 million plus um with a little nimble team here and you know what the other reason part of the reason was who says you're the only people who even jumped on a call with me we're the only team that just even made a little bit of time to say, sit down and say, hey, how can we help solve this with you? And like that was the, a huge differentiator there. And again, maybe you can't do that with everyone forever, but it shows that if you care and you're actually excited about solving problems with people, that people will want to work with you.
1: Yeah, but that that sort of if if all of us we have in the root starting the business, if we if we hire more people, that's going to be passed on, right? So it is not going to be beyond with them. If that's a whole customer success team, they are also not going to be feel like yeah, I don't want to talk with you. They, they, that's going from from here, so that definitely helps. I had another point, but I just uh, I'll open that. <laughs>
0: it's been a long okay so that brings leon you're here we are glad to have you here one of the things that and this is i think very interesting and i based on this onboarding process that we've gone through i mean i've learned so much onboarding looks great thank you again for the contribution there yeah
1: we really appreciate that yeah amazing
0: it really is like uh but this idea i guess one of the topics you want to talk about and i'll let you you elaborate on this is the idea of like you know ui versus ux and uh you know, as now seeing the process that we went through with this, I am th- wanting to re-engineer the entire way we attack every single problem, uh, within the company, uh, thanks to you. So maybe just some clarity, both for us, but anyone who actually watches or listens or, or reads this, uh, about the difference between UI and UX and why that's so important.
3: Sounds good. Um, glad I'm not preaching to the choir because typically UX or uh, just human centered design is undervalued in most businesses. Um, but what they realize is that, here's the context, right? Like we, we're in a world where any engineer can build anything um, with given enough time and money or in large enough teams, anything is possible. But it comes down to like why your business is better than someone else's business. Uh, and in this, in this world of digital channels, so imagine a street, traditional sense, and you walk by a, a storefront they have shoes and the next store also has shoes and the follow and the third store also has shoes. And you're like, okay, wonder wonder which one I go into. And then you have to go on like some reviews, or if you don't know back in the days, there's no Google Maps or Yelp. You kind of just have to go and try and see who has a bigger smile on their face, who has a bigger selection, and so on. But at the end of the day, it's the like customer service. And in a digital world, that customer service turns into basically how the product functions. Um it's that user experience. So when we talk about like competitiveness, companies started to realize that, hey, you know, if we don't dominate <clears throat> the customer service, the customer experience, which gets distilled to UX uh, to, in some some format, then we're losing to our competitors because they're investing heavily. And there's massive or numerous reports I can bring up by uh, Forrester or McKinsey or um, any like large consulting company or analytics company uh, or market research company that can demonstrate the ROI of design in a longer term, right? In a longer term, you'll see that companies who prioritize customer experience, and I'm talking like Amazon, Shopify, that win and dominate a whole industry, they've invested from, into design from day one. And design is not just what it looks like and feels like. And design is kind of like the entire experience um, from end to end. Uh, so best example kind of is Apple, you know, when you think about Apple, the whole journey of buying an Apple product is just so, so seamless. Unfortunately, they've hired like some of the best designers in the world to, to create that experience. And that's what makes them the most valuable company by market cap. Um, at least publicly list, publicly listed companies. So design becomes the DNA of the company becomes the backbone of your, all of your services and offerings. It's, it's, it's about critically thinking about where, where people and humans um, could fail, could make a mistake, and then capturing it before they actually reach that point. But it is a, it's a very, very heavy investment. It's not good for startups, um, which is why most startups don't have a um, great design or great design system or great um, user experience up front you know um, even airbnb two out of three founders were designers they were trained as designers they had a very crappy sort of um, iterative experimental uh, beginnings right they were they're running really sh- you know really shitty landing pages as mvps just to see if anyone was willing to use their product but eventually they've built one of the best design teams in the world um, so context aside like ux and ui well um, just in short, if you were going to take away anything from this sh- um, small spiel, UI is what things look like and feel like. That's it. Uh, it's everything that you see that you can interact with. Think, don't think digital interfaces now. Think cars, right? UI is like is is whatever's on your dashboard. How these dials work. How big are the dials? Um, and and what color is your sort of LED displays, right? And like, I think Tesla now kind of like made the car almost dashboard less, it's just a big iPad. Um, But yeah, like UI is is everything that the user interacts with. UX on the other hand is how systems work. So it is actually much closer to how engineering should, um, should tackle certain pieces or should be building features and experiences. UX is, is about how people perceive this thing. Like if I, if I step into a car, do I know where to you know, um, ignite the engine? Do I, do I intuitively know how to move the seat back and forth? Do I know how to raise the seat? Do I know how to um, you know, change the mirror's uh, angles? Those are the user experience side of things. And the physical buttons that allow you to change the mirror angles are, is the UI. And and so, if it's not intuitive, then then it's done, right? It's 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 game over, especially in a digital digital platform um, with a lot of competitors and a, in a uh, generally speaking pretty crowded marketplace that we're in. Um, that's where voice voice technology also comes in as well. Like not pertaining what we're building in the voice space, but cars are now increasingly being operated or have a voice assistant involved, and so that changes dramatically what the user interface is. And so when voice designers think about design, they're like, well, like every question and answer, basically every request and response is just the UI, because that's literally a linear approach. But when they think about UX, it's like, what's the intent of asking this question? Will a user want to order coffee on their way to work in the mornings? And so how will you enhance that experience? Um, UX again is, is the, the, how the product, uh, works, how the system functions, um, and it has to be accessible. Obviously there's accessibility standards has to be, um, better than your competition, hopefully. And, uh, and it has to make sense. So back in the days when people were building chairs and like designing real physical products, UX was kind of just ergonomics. It was literally human factors engineering, right? That's an actual discipline. You can study in, in, in a master's degree and PhD. Human factors engineering, psychology, and ergonomics consist of UX. And, uh, and UI is, again, it's interface design, interaction design, a little bit of that, and visual design, you know, um, giving your cues back and forth based on your, your, your input and output. So does that make sense or did I just go too far?
0: Oh, no, this is wonderful. Analogies, analogies are strong today, Leon.
1: <laughs> <From>.
0: <laughs> no, thank you for sharing, and I think everyone just sat back and listened to that and took it in. So, um,
3: I'm happy to elaborate, you know, offline as well. Anyone that has any questions around this,
1: have um, one follow-up question.
3: It, sorry, uh,
1: have one follow-up questions with that. Follow-up Sure, go ahead. If you need to, if you need to say only three points about. The difference between B2B and B2C UX. How do you put that way? Because it's like B2B UX and B2C UX. It's like, what are the three highlighted points you see as a difference? Yeah. Uh,
3: so you said one question from you, but three things I had to highlight, right?
1: Uh, that's a one question, but has three. Uh, <laughs> three things I got to. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. Interesting challenge. Uh, I can go with, I can rip off of Nihal's what's a complex system and what's a complex product. Look, um, really complex systems like AWS, like Salesforce, they require specialized humans to help you configure and and build things, right? You have to learn, go to Academy. That would be like the extreme level of, of B2B or enterprise UX. They're not meant to make your everyday user happy they're meant to perform a very specific business function. And, um, right. And, and if you're building something so complex that you might as well take the human aspect out of it, then you have an API. Uh, it's just like our machine works for the machine. Forget about humans. It's just not like, you don't need to use levers or dials or buttons to operate the system. Um, on a B2C level, it's, it's as simple and as, as easy as possible, as accessible as possible. That's it, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, B2C UX, uh, sometimes can be very, I would say sometimes can be very, um, curated. So the, 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 the workflow and the user flow is curated because you have a contract of half a million dollars and you build a product for them. Right. And then, and then you may have another contract for, for quarter million dollars and you kind of iterate or you tweak your little product here and then service that client. Uh, so then you kind of become more of a customization, um, modular customization process. Um, then you send out like sales consultants and clients, uh, sorry, sales engineers and whatnot to, to be on site. I think one great, great company, I wouldn't say it's a product, it's SAP. SAP just like has, they can do anything for you. You just have to request it, but it'll cost you like $5 million per month. They'll do it for you. They have teams and teams of people um so that's like enterprise ux as well it's customized right. b2c think think spotify think um think you know uh, even tools like uh, like my macbook for example b2c product it needs to be intuitive and easy and there are pro users but they're still this is like a very um hands on accessible thing so expect different use cases and different user flows with b2c products because everyone has their own way of, of using it. Think Instagram, it's just like, you can't get lost in the system. It's just so easy. And uh, it's often the hardest product to build because you have to, you have to account for a variety of use cases. Um, in enterprise, it's kind of like sales led sort of, and you can define the requirements, write them down. You're like, okay, we built it for you, sign the contract. Yeah, those are the things that can come, uh, that comes to mind uh, I'm sure I have more uh, examples, but hopefully those, those help you differentiate.
1: Yep, these are good because the, the language change also in the application, let's say if you talk about Speak, the whole language change, right? AWS has the revenue of $380 billion plus. And if you check AWS, I use every day, also also I check the Azure or the Google Cloud, they're like simple tables, right? They, they try to fulfill your purpose, as quickly as possible on the technical side, or not even non-technical persons, because they have other service who non-technical people also can manage it. So that sort of a balance, if we compare with the speak, is like, okay, where does that fit the, the fundamental of the UX? You know, Because that change a lot of things in terms of the experience. Even when we talk about the numbers or the statistics, that change a lot, because with enterprise, you know that you've got, let's say, $5 million project, and you don't worry about the drop-off, because for instance, example, with the UX perspective, because you know that you got a deal, you just try to make sure that goes well, the whole implementation or the relationship. But when it go to the B2C, then the whole equations are changed. Then I agree with the Nihal point about the marketing, but then here it's also the ENAP, the whole language is changed too is like not talk about uh, chat with us, it's going to be talk with the representative. It's like talk with, you know, because that's enterprise language, it's like talk with the representative, which is like sort of uh, creating a relationship with that business instead of with the B2C. It's like, hey, talk with uh, whatever, you know, for example, us or Tyler or like something like so.
3: Yeah, uh, B2B level, you're competing uh, not you're not competing as much. you com- you you competed on solving a business problem, and therefore you develop a service or product for them. On B 2 C level, you're competing against attention, people's happiness, um, time sensitivity, like you know, um, and 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 just like.
1: How time you spend on the application?
3: Uh, yeah, 10 million users are gonna have 10 different use cases. So it's it's a, it's it's all it's very difficult
0: actually i was going to say just like cost sensitivity or um, uh, acclimatation to um, free information uh, when you're dealing with direct direct to people. Okay, okay, we are at time here. I want just give me one second. I just want to talk about this quickly, uh, which is like uh, la- last night. I said at the start of it, but I went for a rollerblade and. Uh, and uh i went down to the toronto water and uh, first of all i saw like 50 people with lights on their bike rolling around like it was burning man it was awesome you know walk over a couple more meters and i see like 40 people doing freestyle raps and for me you know that's like a signal that uh you know this like this i mean this pandemic is coming to an end and even when starting speak and developing speak you know it, it started with uh it started with a very different thing in mind, a whole different world in mind. And one of it was I was constantly in meetings. I wanted to have a, a, like a literally native phone application that could then grab a recording while I sat in that meeting, process that information and analyze it and store it. And then so much behavior and so many things have changed throughout this pandemic. And one of them was people weren't even used to recording things. And then all of a sudden everyone's on virtual calls and recording is a click away on something like Zoom. And, uh, you know, I guess what I'm just trying to understand or just quickly, and I know, and I don't want to drag this out too long, but it's just like your perspective on post pandemic and how that uh, impacts speak. And I just thought like one of the ones that that's what I've been talking about, we sort of, because <laughs> of team capacity, maybe uh, not the best prioritization, we missed out on sort of the Zoom integration, Google Meet. You know, there's a lot of companies that took massive advantage of that. Uh, we didn't, uh, but you know, there's still, I just, yeah, I just want to know like what, what you're thinking you know, should we take this into account as we move forward, that people are going to be moving back into meetings in some places, but remote work has ever changed? Just, I guess, any insights, or if we philosophize and look forward into the future, just to end this uh, session here today, your thoughts on how it's going to impact what we're doing here and if that, that needs to be taken into account. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Leon, anyhow.
3: I I have... Uh, well, um, during one of my PM interviews before there was the first question that came to mind, is kind of your sense of where their market is going. And first question was like, what will happen to zoom when the pandemic ends, you know, tell me about your strategy for zoom. And like, then you kind of have to measure everything, right. Uh, how people behave. It comes back to human behavior, like sociology and psychology. So for us, I think similar things apply. What happens when things are, are less online and more offline. Um, Is that even something uh, previously established as a market for us, or does it not matter for us? Like, are we affected by the pandemic? Have we seen inflows or growth during the pandemic that wasn't, that was a clear transition because the markets changed?
0: I'll just add one quick thing. I was like, we were actually prioritizing an Android and iOS application before the pandemic. Cause we're like, if we can get this into the hands of people they can just drop it on the table and record a meeting or something valuable, analyze it, transcribe it before. And this was like, even before Otter, like it was just as Otter maybe first launched and hadn't even picked up any traction yet. And it's like, that was then thrown on the back burner because it was like, no one is going anywhere. No one needs the system right now, or at least in a way that is going to be very helpful for us to grow and generate revenue. So I guess, uh, that, that's all. <laughs> that's all, I saw you, come on, give some thoughts, man. Oh, you're on mute, you're on mute. your eyes are closed and you're on mute now you're
1: <laughs> good good okay <laughs> uh in my view it's sort of a hybrid approach because the reasons are let's say if i go to i am going to uh, play volleyball uh, from last two weeks in the evening for our and so and i met at least 6 to 7 different groups and you see and when you when you go it was before a sort of a sort of because of the pandemic people were uncomfortable, but now you can see people are open and and you play very comfortably with them. But anyway, how how does it impact to the speakers like this is sort of not the technology. It's about, in my view, it's sort of a user behavior and it's like, like on Leon's points like sort of users as a a person too is like, what is our mentality? Are we going out? what, What are we doing right as an individual? And just multiply with the three million, three million other, you know, uh, people in Toronto, for an example. So it's sort of going to be the hybrid approach. It's it's still it's still going to be the effect stays here. Uh, I don't quote anyone, but let's say the Pfizer CEO says that based on their statistics, it's still going to take end of 2022 to go everything how it was before in 2019 back to normal uh, in terms of the user behavior, but. Again, I, I, I like the questions you uh, use, uh, uh, You know, Leon said, is like, okay, how much are we impacted before the pandemic and after the pandemic and how we can make the readjustment? is like how much, let's say we lose the customer just for the speak or how much it impacted to speak and how we can recalibrate the whole thing again. So that sort of makes sense. Let's an Android and iOS. It's sort of a one part of the whole process, but Let's say if we even add that, how much it adds the value, what is the growth, we will see. Uh, okay, let's say if we are going to have the enterprise $10,000, $15,000 contract just for a one month, I mean, for one year, but per month $15,000 contract, okay, then it's affecting, as a, a post pandemic, uh, after, yeah, so it's sort of still going to be the hybrid approach. The, the Zoom analogy is still going to be stay here. It's not going that quick quickly uh, because people are also, as us too, Is like we are comfortable, but also we want to meet with others. But it's like maybe three days a week, but two days you still want to focus and let st- us like stay home or work from your comfort zone, so.
0: Beautiful. Nihal, any thoughts?
2: Uh... nothing specific to the, uh, issue, not, not the issue, but the transition from like, uh, in in person to not in person, because I I think this also speaks to our positioning and what exactly do we want to educate people about and get people to do. So, you know, going back to our, initial thought about what's the type of content or what's the type of approach we're trying to take to things it's okay so at this point in time maybe people don't see transcription as uh, a very vital business function let's say but how do we change that perception like are we the people to change that perception do we make it a goal to educate people on all the benefits of you know uh, for instance you have a large media library you're getting you know, half a million clicks uh, a month, let's say it's a big company, right? Um, Now you transcribe your entire media library and you can double your, you know, how many people you're sending to your site, for instance. Um, And how exactly do we position ourselves to be the ones to teach them about that as well? Uh, I think that's how we kind of mitigate any sort of, uh, I guess, post-pandemic fall-off. It's more like, how do we... Make ourselves a critical part part of someone's workflow, a critical critical part of someone the way someone approaches their uh, marketing, their business practice, uh, and yeah, just just pushing ourselves to be the because yeah, like at, at its core, the concept of okay, transcribe your files, for instance, is simple, right? Upload, get the transcript, but now it's you have your transcript, now what, right? And are, are, how do we how do we build out solutions there as well to make make these transcripts more usable, more useful?
0: Yeah. You guys are gonna hate me for saying this, but I, you know, I was watching these guys freestyle last night. They would say, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm in the what is it in the Toronto? I don't even know the area code. Actually, it's not the two two six. What is it at the hall? You know, it's the area code and the phone number. You're looking nine oh five. 905. or
2: four one six. You know and.
0: Yeah. We're rapping by the CN Tower. You know, I'm in Toronto and I'm just watching these guys freestyle. And I'm thinking, oh my God, if we could just live transcribe and project what they're saying out, what joy that would give.
3: Everyone was doing our office hours.
0: So I tried to hold it. And I was like, Todd, I'd be a good, you know, good business owner and don't bring up stupid stuff. But, uh, you know, I, it's good to have dreams too. And, <laughs> Awesome. Awesome to just feel the energy and see that and, you know, move to Toronto in January, 2020. And to start to feel these inklings of, uh, you know, the city that, you know, came here to, to be a part of
1: is, is very exciting. So um, quick, quick thing, quick thing on, on Mihail's point. I like that. I, I mean, we should be able to see more growth because uh, if, if you see the few past requests and leads, they have now zoom recordings. It's like now people are asking, what do I do? with this thousands of Zoom recording of minutes or thousands of hours of Zoom recording, what I'm gonna do now? with uh, this like critical discussions we had because everything was remote. So I don't know if we, we, we might have the one, one more page on the websites, just talks about why do you need to analyze your meeting sort of a post pandemic. So that should be there, you know, okay, if you have the Google Meet's recording, Zoom meeting recording, how you can do that. So, okay, Tara, we talk about we are late, but we might be the early in the stage of this post pandemic reanalyze your thousands of minutes and uh, okay I, I use order I use blah 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 but now what okay you what are you gonna do with this storage so probably people are looking for more than they might not aware about that solution and that might create the I don't know whole new market about post pandemic reanalyze your meetings if anyone to sense point. but uh, I see a big opportunity there yeah,
3: Very very, good very point. Point. Uh, I wanna just to reinforce that point actually, uh, because previous competitors that already found product market fit pre pandemic or during the pandemic, good for them, but they've locked in their customers. And for them to pivot to this new strategies is gonna be a too big of an opportunity cost or not immediate in, in the roadmaps. Us being a nimble team, we have the ability to kind of try that out.
1: Take it. Okay. Here's your opportunity, guys. Come on, take, this is an Office hours 20 <laughs> we'll see in office hours 32 maybe if how it works or whatever 132 <laughs> some sometime, uh, but this could be the game changing definitely after the post pandemic for just those recording pieces.
0: Okay, any everyone feel happy satisfied with today? Good. Okay, great to see you all. Rainy day but a beautiful day. Spend some time with you. Anyone who watched, listened, read this, appreciate it very much. Love you all, and uh, hope you have a great uh, rest of your day and weekend.
1: You bye